The following story contains sensitive and disturbing details. It's not suitable for children. Detroit in the 1970s, a city of industry, a place known for toughness and grit, saw many of its workers flee for the suburbs at quitting time. That was supposed to be their safe place, where they could escape the danger and crime of the city. So people moved to places like Oakland County to get away. They would find their safe place and build a world around it. Mothers and fathers felt comfortable letting their children roam the neighborhoods until the streetlights came on. Life was pretty great. But suddenly, it wasn't. One child, then another, abducted, held, and murdered. And then put on public display for anyone to see. Bodies cleaned and cared for, and then smothered. Questions without answers, and a whole community on edge and outraged. A task force was assembled. It was the largest ever of its kind. An entire county on the lookout. Tears streaming down the faces of mothers and fathers as they looked desperately for their sons and daughters. Children began moving in groups, on high alert, knowing that a predator was out there. It wasn't a matter of if the killer would strike again, it was a question of when. And then, nothing. The killer went quiet. The case and investigation went quiet for a long, long time. I'm Jeremy Allen, and this is Shattered, Season 3, Child Killer. We don't know how he was asphyxiated. He could have been asphyxiated by somebody holding a pillow over his face. I'm not frightened because I think I can take care of myself. That attitude, police say, can get your youngster murdered. How can you just kill a 12-year-old in the middle of a very busy intersection and no one knows anything? How can that be? The most important aspect is the investigation and get this animal off the street. We had um, about 300 policemen looking for a missing boy. And I guess tomorrow we'll have about, I hope, a lot more than those 300 looking for a killer. And each time the phones ring, they hope that it will be a tip that will lead to the capture of the child killer. I grew up in Oakland County. The murders of Mark Stebbins, Jill Robinson, Christine Mihalik, and Timmy King happened a couple years before I was born, but the impact of their murders was still present when I was growing up. The memory of the Oakland County child killer hasn't left me or anyone in this area. Welcome value customer, one twenty-five. A lot of people that aren't from the area don't really understand the scope or the horror that came along with it, and we're just trying to get people's stories, maybe if you remember anything about the time. Oh yeah, we went from not locking our doors to locking our doors. We didn't think about getting hurt by adults. You were supposed to go to adults. Right, I mean that was just, it was really stressed to us that you always had to be with a buddy and big warnings about cars driving by and not 
um, getting anywhere near them or having people speak to you, um, you know, run away, um, tell, tell an adult. My youngest daughter slept in bed with us for a whole week because she felt so unsafe in the bedroom next to us. I mean, even, you know, she was that frightened. We were all told to walk in groups together and no one could come out of the schools unless their parents were there to pick them up. And yeah, it was horrible. It turned life around as we knew it at that time. It, it really radically changed. And it, I think it was probably the beginning of that helicopter parent thing. If you look all the way back, that's probably where it started. Just creeps everywhere. You don't know who you're dealing with. You go to a bar or a restaurant or, you know, who's watching you? I think it was just more of a, an awareness that there was evil in the world, right? Last year, I began digging into WDIV's archives on the Oakland County child killer case. Before I started, I had no idea the amount of material that I would find. Row upon row of 16mm film, all held in cooler temperatures so that the film doesn't melt together and get ruined. Hours of material. Dozens of canisters of film on the child killer case. I knew that a lot of the footage that I found and was looking at had never been seen before. It was raw and untouched. The stories that ran on the air, they hadn't been seen since the late 70s. I found You'll notice it sounds old. Maybe garbled is a better word, but that's the film. And like I said, there's a lot of it. And there's a lot of it for good reason. Because this case was the kind of case you couldn't get away from. If it happened today, you would see it on local news nonstop. It would be a huge story on national news networks across all social media. It'd be everywhere. If a story's ever had layers, this is that story. Here's Marnie Keenan, author of The Snow Killings, a book all about the Oakland County child killer case. During 13 months in 1976 and 1977, starting in February 1976, four kids between the ages of 10 and 12 vanished from sidewalks and held from four to 19 days, and then their bodies were tossed by public roadsides, almost as if to taunt, because they were so visible. The stories of Mark Stebbins, Jill Robinson, Christine Mihalik, and Tim King's abductions and subsequent murders were and are terrifying and confusing to this day. The answers are out there, somewhere. What we do know is the M.O. of the killer seems to be a real mystery. The killer took two girls and two boys. The boys were sexually assaulted. The girls were not. Before they were killed, all of the kids were reportedly well taken care of, meaning clean and well fed. They were in good condition. Many at the time actually called the killer the babysitter killer because of the way the children were quote-unquote cared for. By most accounts, it's Mark Stebbins, Jill Robinson, Christine Mihalik, and Timmy King that are tied to the Oakland County child killer case. But some contend there are more. In fact, some say there should be at least twice as many tied to the case. And so before we get into what happened to Mark, Jill, Christine, and Timmy, 
I'm going to account for four other tragic murders of young people which occurred in or near Oakland County at that time. Thursday, January 15, 1976, Roseville, Michigan, about 18 miles north of Detroit and 12 miles east of Oakland County. 16-year-old Cynthia Ray Kaju is hanging out at a friend's house. Her mother and stepfather believed she was spending the night there, but that's not what happened. Cynthia left her friend's house. The friend would later tell police she thought Cynthia was heading home, but she never made it there. Cynthia's mother reported her daughter missing the next day, Friday at 6.30 p.m. At 1.50 a.m. the next morning, The girl's nude body was discovered here along Franklin Road early this morning by a passing motorist. Her body was left out in the cold. She was found in Franklin, Michigan, a village in Oakland County about 23 miles away from her home in Roseville. After seeing a TV report about a girl's body being found, Cynthia's parents called the Oakland County morgue to tell them that girl's body might be their missing daughter. This is Cynthia's brother, followed by his younger sister. I found out she was missing, and the police brought them pictures over over. I just, I just didn't believe it was her until I had went, went to the morgue to see her. And I, my dad couldn't even identify her because he, he just wouldn't, he just didn't want to admit it and that. And I couldn't even hardly identify her and that. All I know is I want to get a hold of the guy that did it or whoever did it because I love my sister. I don't know. I know I miss her. Police would identify and examine the body. And it was determined that Cynthia was raped and sodomized, possibly by more than one attacker, and then ultimately killed. She was killed by a blow to the head so powerful it would fracture her skull, leaving a gaping hole in her forehead. Family members say that even if the killer is never caught, he'll have to live forever with what he did. And someday, they say, he'll have to face the Day of Atonement. Someday. On Wednesday, February 4th, about three weeks after Cynthia was murdered, her school classmates put on a benefit concert. All proceeds went to the Kaju family. And two years later, on the anniversary of Cynthia's death, Roseville police took to television airwaves and made a plea to the public, asking for help in the investigation. And they would get it. Three men would be found responsible for the murder of Cynthia Kaju, thanks in large part to a convict named Gary Kroll. Kroll told police that his boyhood friend, a guy named Bobby Lee Anglin, told him that he, a man named Richard Heinrich, and another guy, who wasn't named, picked up a hitchhiking girl in 1976, brought her to a motorcycle gang clubhouse, and then assaulted and murdered her. The girl, of course, was Cynthia Caggio. According to Kroll's testimony, he said Anglin and Heinrich raped and sodomized her, and then, quote, they kicked the bitch out in the snow, and she froze her ass, end quote. The third member of this group died before police got the confession. 
And before the trial, Anglin retracted his statements about Heinrich, which meant prosecutors didn't have enough of a case to sentence him. But on May 4th, 1979, Bobby Lee Anglin was convicted of the rape and murder of Cynthia Ray Cadju. He's serving life in the Muskegon Correctional Facility, and that's on the west side of Michigan. It's Tuesday, January 20th, 1976, just four days after Cynthia Cadju's murder. In the city of Birmingham, Michigan, which is one of the nation's wealthiest communities, babysitter Sheila Srock is found raped and murdered. Srock was just 14 years old. The killer was on a crime spree within the neighborhood. Police said three other break-ins took place in the area that night, and that officers who were out looking for a burglar likely knocked on the door of the house Sheila Srock was in while the killer was still inside with her. Authorities suspect that that murderer then slipped out the door while no one was looking and meshed into a group of concerned citizens who were walking the streets. One of the houses this guy robbed, well, he walked away with a measly five bucks. Next thing I knew, a voice was saying, don't move or I'll blow your brains out. But he left homeowner John McAuliffe rattled. So I froze, and he told me to freeze, so I froze right there and uh, came over to me and told me to bury my face in the pillow, and then he covered me up with a blanket, asked me where the cash was, and I told him there wasn't any cash. On New Year's Eve, less than a month prior, another babysitter, Judy Farrow, was murdered. She was killed in Redford Township. That's 18 miles southwest of Birmingham. Since January 1st, two teenage girls have been found murdered while babysitting. Could these deaths have been prevented? Are there precautions? Similarities between Judy Farrell and Sheila Srock's murders made people think it could be the same killer. There is a similarity to the composite sketch in Pervinkler's general description, but again, we caution you that description fits a lot of people, and we have not you know, singled out Pervinkler as being the uh, best suspect in this particular crime. Gary Pervinkler was a 19-year-old who was considered to be a missing suspect in the Redford babysitter murder. There was a report made by an ex-classmate who claimed he saw Pervinkler close to the Birmingham area. Here's Birmingham Police Chief Jerry Tobin. A person saw Pervinkler at 15 Mile and Telegraph, which is in Bloomfield Township, but this has not been verified. This location the chief is referring to is just about four miles away from the home Sheila Srock was murdered in. The witness described Pervinkler wearing clothes that matched the description of the murder suspect. And remember, the killer was also robbing homes in the area, and he had been seen. That description fits a lot of people, and we have not you know, singled out Pervinkler as being the uh, best suspect in this particular crime. Police had something to work from. They had witnesses who saw someone, and those witnesses gave police enough of a description to create a sketch of a person who people should be on the lookout for. They also, very importantly, had a vehicle description. Chief Tobin again. We have gone to a lot of problems tracing down the gold Cadillac. We have not been able to determine that Preventler had such a car or anyone who we know had to have an outstanding warrant at this time. Footprints here in the snow, on the steps, and fingerprints here on the door frame are among the physical evidence uncovered by the state police crime lab. Right now they're looking for a man believed to be anywhere from 19 to 25 years of age, 5'10 to 6 feet tall, very slender with a prominent nose and dark, long, wavy hair. He was believed driving a gold or green Cadillac, model 1966 or 1968. 
Robert Bennett for News 4 in Birmingham. The Previnkler chapter came to an end Tuesday, April 6, 1976. By this time, Previnkler was believed to be on the run for the murder of the Redford Township girl, Judy Farrell. A warrant had been issued for his arrest. His car would be found by snowmobilers in Misaki County, Michigan, and that's up in the northern part of the Lower Peninsula. The car that was found was not a gold or green Cadillac. Instead, it was a 1972 Plymouth Satellite. Police were able to discount him as Sheila Srock's killer because his car was actually found January 12th, which was eight days prior to the Srock murder. Pervinkler's lifeless body was found after a helicopter was sent out to search the wooded area near his car. It was determined Pervinkler had committed suicide by shooting himself in the heart with a 22 caliber handgun. The same handgun used in the abduction of Judy Farrow. But in 1978, police would find Srock's killer. We'll be right back. In 1978, Sheila Srock's killer was found. His name? Oliver Andrews. He was already in prison on burglary charges when a 15-month investigation led police to his cell. During a taped interview with police, Andrews admitted to the murder, but not the rape of Srock. He said he broke into the house, said he was shocked to see her inside. He demanded that she take her clothes off because then he knew she wouldn't run outside into the cold. Srock threw a pillow at him, and then he said, quote, I just panicked, end quote. Andrews choked Srock and then shot her five times to her death. Today, Andrews is 83 years old, serving his life sentence in the Carson City Correctional Facility in Michigan. The Kaju and Srock murders were unsettling. The brutality and proximity of both left a normally peaceful community on edge. On August 7, 1976, 14-year-old Jane Louise Allen of Royal Oak, Michigan, was determined to see her boyfriend. Tony, her boyfriend, lived 20 miles away in Auburn Hills, so she decided she would hitchhike. Four days later, a body would be discovered in the Great Miami River in Miamisburg, Ohio, which is about four hours south of Royal Oak. It was Jane. Her hands and feet were bound. Police found handwritten directions in her jeans pocket, and those directions led to her boyfriend Tony's house. Jane's killer has never been identified. Many reports call her a runaway, which hardly seems fair to her or her family. We now know that the murders of Judy Farrow, Cynthia Kaju, and Sheila Srock are not attached to the case known as the Oakland County Child Killer. But at the time, when this was happening, it wasn't known. And that only added to the fear and hysteria that there was a serial child murderer out there. DNA and forensic science have advanced since the late 70s, and so is this case. Authorities are still actively pursuing answers and new leads. So how can you just kill a 12-year-old in the middle of a very busy intersection and no one knows anything? How can that be? This season on Shattered, we're going to get into all of that as we continue to unravel the story of
of the Oakland County Child Killer. Why would somebody take my brother off the street and do such brutal things and murder him? I remember like we couldn't open our presents. We didn't open our presents. We were waiting. She was gone. It wasn't even Christmas. I don't even know what I got. It doesn't matter. So our communities were on edge. However, we thought our authorities were solving these crimes and it would all go away. Investigators have created a tip line. So if you have any information, please call 833-784-9425. If you have a story about how the Oakland County Child Killer affected your life, please call us at 313-223-2237. Leave us a message. We can also be found by searching Shattered Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. A special thanks to Anastasia Klemovitz, Tad Davis, and Joe Prince for their help with the interviews. Zach Rosen, who helps edit the show. The Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State and Mary Wallace. Dave Birch, who made it possible to record all of the film audio. Also, a very special thank you to Kelly Allen. Our team also produced a five-part docuseries on this story, so if you want to see the old footage... You'll find a link and a lot more information about the whole case at shatteredpodcast.com. Until next time. <laughs>